we come to you again in prayer in this service because at every turn we are desperate for you at every turn we are dependent on you Lord we need your help even to receive you help us Lord in Jesus name we pray amen amen you can be seated my name is Daniel Van Valkenburg. I'm the pastor of music and technology here. This is the third Sunday of Advent, season where we are preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. His first coming and his birth, his second coming, his return, and his coming afresh in this moment in our hearts. Ken pointed out two weeks ago what Mary is declaring here in this song um, as God has directed our attention to this song called the Magnificat, what Mary is declaring here is not just as an escape from all that is wrong in the world, but God as the disruptor of all that is wrong in the world. She's declaring that in this child there's a grand reversal that's coming for everything, a cosmic revolution that is bringing light to her darkness. As I prayed and prepared for this week's sermon, um, one small detail of this passage kind of poked me a little bit, and it's not technically in the song um, that was just saying. It's actually the verse that comes right after that. It's Luke 156, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The reason that this stands out is because it seems so ordinary and boring Right, like there's this, Mary makes this climactic declaration that the, 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 this cosmic revolution, right, that God is finally doing it, he's gonna set everything right, and I'm on the edge of my seat, okay, here we go, and then she just remained, and then went home. And I remember, yeah, pregnancy's long. <laughs> Some of you might be holier than me, um, but I do not like to wait. Um, and I don't suspect that most of us have the best attitude towards waiting. I feel like we primarily experience waiting as an enemy to be destroyed. I mean, we have specific technology created to eliminate it out of our lives. Forget two-day shipping. We've got one-day shipping, same day. Um, and if we can't eliminate it, well, we just distract ourselves, right? What are the first thing we do when we're waiting for a flight or for an appointment? And I'm not judging. I'm there with you. We pull out our phone, phones. We've got something to do, right? When it comes to waiting on each other, Janelle and I, um, we have this mostly unhelpful habit um, that we have not talked about out loud, and so she was here last service and heard that for the first time. I might be in trouble when I get home. Um, but when we're getting ready to, here's the situation, we're getting ready to leave to go somewhere together. And I am ready. And Janelle is not ready. And I am not at liberty to say whether this is a common scenario but I am ready, and, and I'm, I, I hate waiting. I admit it, I just hate it. I wanna do something else, um, but I know I can't because then I won't be able to finish it. Um, well, one day it hits me, I can do something else, and if I'm not finished, she can wait on me. I think, brilliant idea, right? So I decide I'm gonna do this, and I pull out my computer, and I start working on something, and sure enough, a few minutes later, and Janelle says, okay, I'm done, I'm ready. And I say, almost done, just give me a minute. But Janelle is not as slow as I am. 
She's not going to wait. She immediately starts doing something else, and I finish, and sure enough, guess who's waiting again when I finish? If, if we are ever late to your house, I am sorry, but it is a miracle that we ever made it there at all. <clears throat> we are not the best at waiting. Um, and we all kind of know that we should be better at waiting. Um, my son, last week in kid church, he colored a picture, and then he explained to Janelle about this picture. I'm going to show it to you and uh, read what he said. He says, um, yeah, there it is. He says, that is Jesus saying, ah, be patient. I'm not here yet. Also, his head is cooking. I think the head cooking thing, I think it's his like translation of those um, cartoon characters that they're like fuming with anger and their head's getting all uh, red and there's smoke coming out of their ears, which when I realized that, it immediately made me question our parenting ability and teaching them Advent, like this is how Jesus sees them in Advent. Like, um, but there's something in us that suspects that there's something important about waiting, especially waiting on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We're commanded to wait. And there's something in us that suspects waiting will pay off. Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their, they shall mount up with wings like, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Some of us feel like we've put that one to the test. I've waited, and I am weary. Where's my strength? Where are my wings? Before college, someone dear to me, someone very well-meaning gave me Jeremiah 29, 11 to encourage me. I'm sure this has happened to some of you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Some of you are experiencing real pain. And or you are lonely. You're tired. And some of you are done. You're wondering in your heart, okay, so where's my prosperous future? You hear Mary's words in her song, he has filled the hungry with good things, and you're thinking, what about me? What about right now? Doesn't God care? It's the kind of waiting, the waiting in the unknown, the waiting of is this really gonna get better? That's the really painful waiting, the kind of waiting that feels suffocating. Mary's song comes on the heels of the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah, right? A story that hits a little too close to home for some of you. A story of barrenness, waiting in the unknown for a child. For those of you that are experiencing or have experienced that, you know how bitter that waiting in the unknown can be, better than most of us. As it so happens, 
It's that kind of waiting that is actually a thread that runs through the entire Bible. And that kind of bitter waiting is exactly what Mary's song is singing to. Now you might be thinking that's not fair. It's not really fair. I mentioned barrenness in the Bible, for example, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, there's others, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, mother of Samson, and here in Luke, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Yeah, these stories are about barrenness, but every one of them received what they were waiting for. I feel like that's the exception. I don't feel like that really happens to everybody. In fact, it seems like a lot of people, they never stop waiting. It seems like a lot of people die waiting. Waiting on healing. Waiting to just not be lonely anymore. Waiting with all kinds of deep and painful longings. And you're right. As it turns out, the Bible is also full of stories of people who died waiting. It's all over the passages I've mentioned already. In fact, if you want to take out that kind of lifelong waiting, you could argue that you would have to take out most of the people in the Bible. That loving friend that gave me Jeremiah 29, 11, some of you know this, didn't mention 29, 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Those plans of prospering, they wouldn't be fulfilled for 70 years. Which means that most of the people hearing this promise would die waiting. Actually, even Mary would continue to wait. She remained with Elizabeth for three months and then presumably for six more for Jesus to be born, right? But even then, Jesus is just a baby. We moved here when Theo was only three months old and he did not sleep for the first like year and a half. And I remember thinking, I, I, don't, I, am, I don't want him to grow up, but I am dying waiting for him to figure out this sleep thing, right? There was a lot of waiting that Mary had to do after Jesus was born. 30 years for him to start his ministry. And we know that she probably struggled with this because they're at that wedding, you know, his first miracle, and she's like poking him to help, and he's like, wait, it's not my time yet. His head was probably cooking. But that wasn't even close to the worst waiting that Mary endured. When her precious son was wrongfully accused, she waited for God to do something. With every stroke of that whip, she waited for God to do something every slow and agonizing step closer to Golgotha, every strike of the hammer as she watched. This is her son, her baby. Mary died waiting. 
I'm not sure exactly how Mary wrestled with her waiting before she died. But I hope she sang this song. Or I hope someone sang it to her. In this song that Mary was given before Jesus' birth, God is attending to all of their waiting and to all of our waiting here and now. Mary's song is as much about that particular moment in time when when the Savior is growing inside of her. It's as much about that moment as it is about the story that spans all generations of the Bible and all generations to come. And it beckons, this story, it beckons us in our waiting to remember all of the ways that God has saved us and will save us across generations. The gospel, it only makes sense with your waiting if you can see how your waiting connects to the story that is bigger than our lifetime. It only makes sense if you can see and receive in that story the countless ways God has manifested himself to his people, manifested himself across time for your sake. The countless times he has saved and healed and it wasn't just good news for them. He did those things for your sake, for this moment. And also, so that we might remember forward. Remember forward to what is coming for your waiting. That growing life of heaven inside of Mary, it is a manifestation of everything sad coming untrue. Mary's song is drawing together the entire story of the Bible across generations, God's story about how he is dealing with evil, redeeming us to himself, restoring everything that was broken, and conceiving his new creation, present tense, in your waiting. Out of this manifestation in Mary, in that painful waiting in the unknown, the waiting of is this really going to get better. We can draw real hope and life from the coming of Jesus and all the stories of God's coming, his manifesting himself throughout the story of scripture. And in the same way, for those who have experienced Jesus in their lives, and I know that that's not everyone, But if you have experienced Jesus in your life, you can draw hope and life from those moments. If you've experienced the coming of Jesus in your life, but now it feels like he's absent. We have to stop and remember and draw from the moments of our lives when his coming was real and tangible in our hearts. And we have to take all of this a step further. Here's where I'm going. The coming of Jesus gives worth to our waiting. I'm not just saying that the second coming is worth the wait, okay? I'm not saying it like that does not cut it. Okay, they say something's worth is kind of determined how much someone will pay for it. The second coming of Jesus gives undue value to our waiting. Our waiting, no matter how desperate, it is grossly insufficient. 
The second coming of Jesus gives invaluable worth to our waiting. But his birth and his present coming in our lives also gives worth to our waiting. Every story of God manifesting himself and filling the hungry, saving his people, every story across generations is a story about God coming to us, rescuing us, and it means that our waiting is not just nothing. Ken pointed out two weeks ago that our desperation itself, it is carving out space for being filled. Even our most desperate waiting is not time wasted. The coming of Jesus gives it invaluable worth. We are not just waiting for glory, we are waiting into glory. Jesus has come and comes now to us in the Magnificat. And in our waiting, we can receive Jesus, receive the life of heaven that we are waiting for in the hearing of scriptures, in receiving the body and the blood in worshiping together, in our, in our lives, in our jobs, as we love others, as we share the life of heaven with others, all of it becomes a way of letting, letting, allowing, welcoming Jesus to come to us here and now. And it's all gathered up into God's present and future work of coming and setting everything right. We have to be careful at this point. Because you might think that this message is about us. Okay, let's just sing the Magnificat. Let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, put our heads down, and just press onward. We could do that, but the next thing we know, we realize we're not waiting on the Lord at all. We're actually running from it. Waiting does not mean, waiting on the Lord with hope does not mean that we avoid the weeping and the sitting with others who weep. Mary sang, but I'm willing to bet she also wept bitterly. Not all of Mary's songs were magnificats. Waiting with hope means we don't hold back our desperation. As Ken said here at ISC, you are urged to display your desperation. Don't hold back. It is as much a part of our gathered worship as anything else. Make a habit of bringing your desperation before God in gathered worship. One way you can do that, to make a habit, make a habit once a month, once every two months, once a week, whatever, make a habit of receiving prayer after the sermon or during communion or after the service. We have to make a habit of this. Lay your painful waiting before God out loud to another person and let them pray for you. That's one way that we welcome Jesus to come to us. We are the body of Christ. Jesus comes to us through each other. Come tonight, you still have a chance. Come tonight to the prayer service. Cry out to God and let others cry out to him on your behalf. We are not meant to wait on the Lord alone. That's not how it works. When you let the body of Christ into your waiting, you are welcoming Jesus himself into your waiting. We have to give time and attention to expressing the pain in our waiting, but that also does not mean that we avoid the Magnificats. Even in our painful waiting, 
As I said before, I hope Mary sang this before she died waiting, or I hope someone sang it to her. There's a way to sing Mary's song with bursting joy, and there's a way to sing it with hands held out in desperation, singing it as a battle cry against the pain and doubt and lies, singing it out against the enemy who is telling us that this painful waiting is not worth it. When we worship, bring the pain of your waiting and cry out with everything that you have, every song, every liturgy, not as some superficial show, but as an uninhibited plea to our only hope, as a battle cry against the darkness. And when we do, we are welcoming Jesus to come to us. We are not putting our hands out anymore. We're opening ourselves to him. And know, too, that you aren't the only one waiting. Jesus himself waits for you. Isaiah 30, 18 says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And it's so beautiful, this word wait, um, it's interesting, it can easily be translated long, and in some translations of this passage, it's, it's translated long, the Lord longs for you. And the same for the last bit of that, wait for him, long for him. The point is this, the ache goes both ways. He longs and waits for us to receive him. And know this, no matter how deep your ache is in your waiting, no matter how deep, it cannot compare to God's ache for you. It cannot compare to God's ache on your behalf. No no matter how painful your ache is, it cannot compare to the ache God has for your ache the ache that he has with you. In hearing all of this, you might be asking, why? Why is he taking so long? Enough is enough, why? For my kids, waiting five minutes is really hard they do not believe that their parents know when enough is enough. They, they have no idea why we are waiting. There's this real gap, this real knowledge, this real maturity gap. What if the gap between God and us is greater than the gap between adults and children? I don't know why God is taking so long. but I know that he longs and waits for me. Longs and waits for us to receive him in the deeper parts of our lives, places that we've already created a habit of distracting ourselves from the wait, places we don't even realize. He longs and waits for the ones who have yet to receive him. 
And if you will receive him, his coming will give unimaginable worth to your waiting. Let's pray. God, help us to receive. Help us to receive the one that gives worth to our waiting. Help us with all of our collective hope and all of our collective desperation. Help us to sing the battle cry of God's faithfulness to us across generations. Fill this body, Lord. Fill us such that when people come to each other, that Jesus, you would be the one coming to them, meeting with them. Pray specifically, Lord, for the ones who are in that desperate waiting and they are done. Mercy, God. Mercy. Would you turn your face towards them? Pray for all of us over the places in our hearts and our lives that are hidden from us. We don't even realize how desperate we are would you break through? Would you do like you do and so gently put your finger on those places and help us to receive you in the waiting of those places? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.